My name is Jonathan Williams, and I am visiting today, and yet I feel like I know a lot of you already. Uh, I'm the director of a ministry called Gospel Family Ministries. Uh, I'm a professor at the seminary in Fort Worth, and I spent this whole weekend uh, with about 85, 90 of you at a Gospel Family Conference, and that was actually my second time to do that. I was here last year as well, and I gotta tell you, First Irving has a very special place in my heart. Uh, I first came to know First Irving through someone who used to be on staff here, used to live in Irving, named Blair Robinson, and at the time I was, oh, y'all know him, at the time, <laughs> I was pastoring a church in Houston and he reached out to me and uh, the Lord ordained us to do what a lot of godly men like to do, eat tacos together. Uh, so we met at Fuzzy's Tacos in Grapevine and we spent about half the time talking about our, our wives and kids and our churches and half the time talking about a man named Richard Baxter, which I'll tell you about here in a minute. And then one day I met him for tacos and he brought another guy, he brought Kyle with him and I got to know Kyle. And then through that relationship, I got to start spending time with Kyle and John and Alicia here at First Serving, your, some of your ministers and pastors. And we spent you know, the good portion of a year talking through a gospel family conference. And last year, 2021, I had the great joy of coming to spend a weekend with First Serving, working with Kyle and John and Alicia, leading a gospel family conference. And I tell you, the, the Lord moved my heart in such a way that ever since then, I have just had a great love for the church family here. I've grown up in church, been in church my whole life, and there's something special about the church family here at First Serving. And so throughout this last year, I continued to meet with Kyle and John and Alicia. I've gotten to know other staff here, Justin and Corey and Kurt and Michelle and uh, Moises, and we got to have another Gospel Family Conference this weekend, uh, just spending time talking about what is God's heart for our home. What is God's heart for our family? And now I get the great joy of preaching this morning and we're gonna talk about what is God's heart for our church family. So after spending a weekend focusing on our families that God has given us, we're gonna spend today talking about the church family that God has given us. So my name is Jonathan. I'm joined here this morning by my beautiful family. So my wife Jessica's here and you can come meet her later and uh, you'll be like, oh, she's the greatest woman ever. I can't believe she married Jonathan. And then I have three kids, Gracie, my daughter, uh, who just turned 12 a few days ago. Silas is here and Elijah, my boys here in the front. And so afterwards, come meet them and uh, get to know them. But thank you so much for the opportunity to spend this time with you. I'm gonna be preaching a message out of Acts chapter two. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, I know you've been walking through the book of Matthew and last week you finished your series of Matthew. You preached the last passage of Matthew looking at the Great Commission. And in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, we had this one great command, make disciples of all nations, right? Make disciples of all nations. And that great command is bookended by two beautiful truths. On the beginning of that, before Jesus gives that command to the disciples, to the church, he says that he has all authority. We see the power of Jesus. And at the end of that passage, he says, I will be with you always to the end of the earth. 
and we see his presence. So we see the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and it's because of his power and his presence that we can fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations. So as I was reflecting on y'all's journey through the book of Matthew, for our time together today, I wanted to look at that early church. After Jesus gave them the great commission, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, after Jesus sent his Holy Spirit and they are filled with the Spirit, How did that spirit-filled church fulfill the Great Commission? And what did it look like when they did make disciples of all nations? So we're gonna look at this passage from Acts chapter two. The sermon title this morning is The Root and Fruit of Discipleship, and we'll unpack that more as we go, but I wanna give you a little illustration that you can hold on to throughout this morning. I told you when Blair and I first met and got those fuzzy tacos, uh, fuzzy tacos sounds kind of gross when you say it like that. Uh, we, we, we talked a lot about a man named Richard Baxter. He was a Puritan pastor about 350 years ago in England. And it just so happens that Blair and I both love to read his stuff and to study the Puritans. And we had both been doing some research on Baxter when we met. And Richard Baxter has this quote that I wanna share with you. He says, I know that every man must grow as trees do, downwards and upwards, both at once. Every man must grow as trees do, downward and upward, both at once. And what he's talking about is spiritual growth. You see, a tree is growing downward. The roots are getting stronger. The roots are stretching out. And those roots are what sustain the tree. Right, that's what gives it its nutrients. So you have to have this solid foundation, these strong roots to sustain the tree, but the roots also support the tree. Without the roots, the tree would just fall over. It's what supports the weight of the tree. So Baxter says, we need to be growing downward. We need to be getting deeper into the word of God, deeper into our relationship with Christ. We need to make sure that Jesus is the one who sustains us. Jesus is the one who supports us. We are founded in him. Do we have deep roots in Jesus Christ? Is it surface level or does it reach down deep and and are those roots growing? Have they been growing this year? Is he sustaining us? Is he supporting us? Then Baxter says we're also growing upward because as the tree grows upward, it starts to do what? It starts to bear fruit. It starts to bear fruit. And we know throughout scripture, we are called to abide in Jesus because apart from him, we cannot bear any fruit. But as we abide in him, we can bear much fruit. Paul even talks about some of that fruit that we should see in our lives, right? The fruit of the spirit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have we been growing upward? Have we been bearing fruit? So when we talk about making disciples of all nations, we're talking about proclaiming the gospel leading them to a relationship with Christ that is deeply rooted and that is bearing much fruit. And that's what we see in the early church in the book of Acts. It wasn't a perfect church, but we do find a healthy church. And in Acts chapter two, there's a beautiful description of that early church that Luke gives us. And we see that as they are faithful to the great commission, we see that the church is deeply rooted in Christ as he sustains and supports her and the church is growing up and bearing much fruit. So let's read our passage together this morning. Acts chapter two, I'll be preaching verses 42 
through 47, that last passage there in the chapter. Acts chapter two, verse 42, Luke describes this healthy church. He says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray and ask the Lord to open our hearts to his word this morning. Father, we believe that this is your active living word, that we are sanctified by your word, Lord, that your word is good and true. And I pray that today, Lord, you would open our hearts to your word, that nothing would distract us from hearing from you, God, that we would not just read over this passage and feel so familiar with it that we we can't hear from you, that we would not be so focused on what's coming next this afternoon or this week that we do not hear from you. But instead, Lord Jesus, we would just right now enter into your presence. Open up our hearts, Lord, and allow you to speak into our lives and to the life of our church family here at First Serving God. We pray this, Lord, in your name, amen. I said uh, that I grew up in the church. You know, my dad was actually a pastor. My mom, Kurt, was a music leader. And uh, they're actually both still in ministry today. Uh, but even though my brother and I grew up in the church, I did not give my life to Christ until I was 18 years old, right after graduating high school, uh, right before entering college. And my brother, he gave his life to Christ when he was 15 years old. We had gone to a youth camp. How many are in here that are in the youth group? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. You're in the youth group, yeah. Y'all have an awesome youth pastor, by the way. One of my favorite youth pastors ever. All right, how many of y'all have ever, anybody, how many of you ever been to a youth camp? Raise your hand. That's a lot of people, all right. Uh, I'd love to hear your stories. Uh, but my brother, he went to a youth camp when he was 15 years old. Uh, a man was there proclaiming the gospel and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And when my brother came home from youth camp, he did something very strange and, and we all kind of watched him, not even knowing what he was doing. He came in, put his bag down, talked to my parents for a little bit, told them a little bit about camp. Then he went upstairs and he got his backpack and he got his Bible and he put his Bible in his backpack. He came out Outside, got on his bicycle and just left the house. I was like, well, we might never see him again. You know, I mean, he's a missionary and he's gone. Uh, but he drove, you know, or rode the bike about a dozen blocks to one of his buddy's house, uh, to Waylon's house. And he gets to his house and he goes in there with his backpack and his Bible. And he tells Waylon his testimony, how he had given his life to Christ that week, that he opens his Bible and reads the same gospel message to Waylon that they had preached to him at youth camp. And right there, uh, my brother led him to Christ. And they were baptized on the same day after that. And I tell you that story because as we look at Acts chapter two, I wanna talk about what were those roots in the discipleship of the early church and what was the fruit of that discipleship in the early church. And at the root, at the foundation, at the heart of that church, what we find is the word of God. 
And at 15 years old, my brother knew if I'm gonna lead this man to Christ, the only thing I need to put in my backpack is the word of God. So he threw his Bible in the backpack, rode his bike to his house, and he said, this is gonna be the foundation of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in Acts chapter two, that the word of God is the root of discipleship, the foundation of the church. It's at the heart of the Great Commission. Here's another way to say it. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission apart from the word of God. You can't say, I'm gonna go make disciples, and I don't even think we'll need the word of God to do it. I think you'll fail at that. And we'll look here in a minute how we actually see that in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. But look at Acts chapter two, verse 42. Luke says, and they devoted themselves, and there's four things that the early church devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and their prayers. So right before this, we know in Acts chapter one, Jesus ascends into heaven with the great promise that one day he will come back and we're still longing for that day, longing for his return, longing for the second advent of Jesus Christ. After that, the disciples there, which were just a handful at the time, they receive or they wait in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. And once they are filled with the Holy Spirit, we see Peter stand up and preach his first sermon. Now, I remember my first sermon, and it was awful. It was terrible. I, I'm so glad it's not on YouTube anywhere. It's not recorded. Don't go searching for it. All the records have been destroyed. But Peter, he preaches his first sermon, and we see 3,000 people get saved. That's just a good day. You know, that's amazing. But it wasn't because of Peter. You know, we've, we've tracked with Peter through this book of Matthew, and there wasn't a lot to, to celebrate with Peter, right? He, he struggled a lot. He kind of stumbled through things. But it's because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and because he preached the word of God. His charisma, his preaching, his message was the gospel. And that's what God used. So this is that early church now. You have 3,000 people who've given their life to Christ. They've been baptized. They're now gathering together as the church. And the first thing they're devoted to is the apostles' teaching. And what are they teaching? They're teaching the gospel. They're teaching the word of God. At the foundation of this healthy church is a devotion to the word of God. And I think sometimes we drift from that, don't we? even in the church. And so it's not always sin that makes us drift from it. Sometimes it's really good things. Sometimes we have other great things we're trying to do and they're good focuses and good programs and good ministries and we fill our time and our schedule with these good things. And because we're so busy from that, we actually drift from the word of God. But this is to be the root of our relationship with the Lord, the root of not only how we grow in our discipleship, but how we disciple others, how we make disciples. This is the foundation of the church, the heart of the Great Commission. And they are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're hungry for the word of God. Some of you right now, you, you can almost be done with the sermon and say, that's it, that's what I needed to hear this morning. I need to spend the rest of the time just praying that God would give me a hunger for the word of God. That's my response right there. You got it. It's been a while, maybe, since you've had a hunger for the word. Maybe right now, if you were to describe where you're at, you'd say, you know what? I can't say I'm devoted to the word of God. I believe it's true. I have 12 copies. I have the app. But I'm not devoted to it. 
They're devoted. They're hungry for the word of God. And of course, that has to be at the heart of discipleship, at the heart of the Great Commission, because in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Jesus told the disciples, told the church, make disciples of all nations, he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what? Teach them to obey his words. So there is no discipleship apart from teaching them to obey the word of God. I remember being in a bookstore years ago and I saw this little book called Obedience-Based Discipleship. And my first thought was, what other kind of discipleship is there? Discipleship is calling them to obey the words of Jesus, calling them to obedience. Paul says the same thing in Romans 1. When, in Romans 1, 5, when he describes his ministry, his calling that God has placed on his life, he says that what God has called him to do is bring the nations to obedience. So devoting ourselves to the word, calling one another to obey the word of God is at the heart of discipleship. John Stott wrote, the spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. The spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. That's, you know, at the end of the best sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. You just walked through this last year. And he's preaching on how to give and how to pray and how to fast. He preaches on the Beatitudes and he tells them to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He tells them they're gonna be persecuted and he preaches through this beautiful sermon and at the end, he has an illustration in Matthew 7. And basically he says, okay, you just heard my words. You just heard this sermon. If you obey it, you're wise and if you disobey it, you're foolish. I love the way he ends that sermon because we could almost end every sermon like that, couldn't we? We could get up here, preach the word of God and say, okay, you've heard the word of God. If you obey it, you're wise. If you disobey it, you're foolish. All right, let's go to lunch. You know, and, and Jesus, that's how he ends it. But he has this illustration to convey that. He says, there's a wise builder and a foolish builder. They both built a home. You know this story. One built the house on the rock, a solid foundation. But the foolish builder built his house on the sand. Both of them walk through storms, don't they? The storm comes and beats on the house. The wind blows and beats on the house. And the one that is built on the sand, the, the one that is not founded on obedience to the word of God, that house falls and great was the fall. But the house that is founded on obedience to the word of God, it'll still go through the storms, but that house stands firm. So we spent this whole last weekend at the Gospel Family Conference here in this room talking about biblical ways that we can root our homes, our marriages, our parenting, our grandparenting, our families in obedience to the word of God so that as we, as families, walk through those storms, we'll stand firm. Well, this morning, as we look at Acts 2, I want us to turn our attention to the biblical call for us to also root our church house in obedience to the word of God. The healthiest thing we could ever do at first serving would be to make sure that our church is always rooted into obedience to the word of God, to never ever drift from that. I've been around this church enough and enough of you all to know that that is the heart of this church. That I believe that is the foundation of this church. And when that is the root, we see a beautiful fruit come from it as well. There's a famous missionary that many of you've probably read about or heard of named David Livingston, 
who was a missionary in Africa. And David Livingston, you know, when he was a missionary, they didn't have all these uh, airplanes and uh, easy ways to travel through Africa now and highways where you can travel 65 miles an hour. So for a lot of his missionary journey, he just sort of trekked across Africa. And when David Livingston started his trek across Africa, he had a backpack or three backpacks and he had 73 books across those three backpacks weighing 180 pounds. So imagine carrying that even across this room. You know, I'd quit by the third row. I'm just kidding. I'd quit by the first row. So David Livingston, he's trekking across Africa as these three packs, 73 books, 180 pounds. But as he goes, you know, he starts saying, how much do I really need this book? You know, maybe that's not that important. He starts dropping off books here and there, getting rid of them. And by the end of his trek, he only had one book left, and that was the Bible. If there's one thing that we continue to hold on to our entire lives, let it be the Bible. Let it be the Word of God. Let us be people of the book. What's the old children's song? The B-I-B-L-E. Y'all know this song? Any kids know that? You're like, if I raise my hand, he's going to call me up to sing it. I'm not doing it. That's how Kurt got me into the choir. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. What is the next part? I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. We teach that to kids, that let the Bible be what you stand on. Let the Bible be your foundation. Because what we see in Acts 2 and in our own lives and in this church is when the Bible is the root of our discipleship, then we see that a healthy church is the fruit. And that's the next part of Acts 2, that a healthy church is a fruit of discipleship, that when we devote ourselves to the word of God, when we proclaim the word of God to the nations, we see the Lord build his church for his glory. Look at verse 42. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And and I wanna just walk through this passage and, and let's look at some of the fruit that comes from that. Because they're devoted to the word of God, Let's look at what else happens. Another fruit that we see in this healthy church is they have fellowship, they have koinonia. This idea that means sharing and participation. They're sharing things together. They're sharing life together. They're living in community together. They're participating in one another's lives with one another. I love that. In fact, throughout the rest of the New Testament, we're gonna see 50 one another verses for this fellowship. As you're fellowshipping, carry one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, serve one another, honor one another, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, love one another. And we see a start right here, this church fellowshipping together. And what does their fellowship look like? Well, they're devoted to breaking bread together. You're like, oh, that's my favorite. That's it. Some fuzzy tacos and a brother in Christ that I am good to go. It's biblical, Right? To get together, breaking bread with one another. Now, if you jump down to 46, it says, day by day, they're attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home. So there's two primary places this fellowship is taking place. The fellowship is taking place in the temple and in their homes. And I wanna talk about that first one for a minute. If, If we're gonna really live in fellowship with one another and live in community with one another, we actually have to be in the same room with one another. Now, if I had said that even five years ago, you would have said, well, of course, Jonathan, that's the most obvious thing. But when I say that today, there's actually a debate. Well, I don't know if we have to be in the same room, maybe the same chat room, right? Maybe in the same metaverse. 
ever since we first heard the word COVID two years ago, there's, there's been a lot of temptation, a lot of pull to, to neglect meeting with the church, hasn't there? And you're like, well, not us, we're here, I know. <laughs> we have to prioritize the church gathering. We need to be in the same room. Because we were in the same room earlier, while Kurt led us in worship, there's a group that came down here and prayed. You can't do that on Facebook. You can't lay your hands on one another, weep together, pray together on Facebook. The early church knew we gotta be in the same room. We need to worship together. They gather together. There's now a uh, metaverse church I read about. Have you heard this? You put on your virtual goggles there in the house and you create your little avatar. And while you sit in your pajamas, your avatar gets dressed up and goes to a virtual church with other virtual people. Have you, some of y'all are like, that sounds great. I'm leaving. I had no idea we could do that. Can't believe I'm sitting here all dressed up. No, it's a terrible idea. Ridiculous. I mean, they'll even have their little avatar get baptized. And then the human in real life will say, I got baptized. I'm like, no, you didn't. You know, Mario got baptized. Sonic. I don't know. Pikachu, whatever their avatar is. I assume it's a cartoon, right? It's a terrible idea. We reject that idea. We reject the metaverse narrative. We reject this idea that Sunday morning or Saturday night, whenever you gather the church family, we reject the idea that that is a take it or leave it kind of gathering. That I might take it, I might leave it. We say it's essential. We say that because that's what we see in scripture. But they didn't just meet in the church house and the temple. It says they also, in verse 46, they would break bread in their homes. How many of you, raise your hand high, if you've ever had another church member in your home? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if they weren't even invited, they just came over. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Raise your hand if you've ever been to someone else's home in the church. Raise your hand. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, For the last 10 years, I was pastoring a church in Houston, Wilcrest Baptist Church, beautiful church family there in Houston. A lot of our great friends are there. And it's a multi-ethnic church, very diverse, kind of like first serving. You have a lot of nations represented here, and I love that. And in our church in Houston, we had a lot of nations represented. And we had this one older couple uh, from Cuba, and Pepe and Gardena. Remember Pepe and Gardena? And they invited me to their home one day. So I went over there and they, you know, they're telling me all about Cuba and all about their family. And they said, you know, pastor in Cuba, we're really proud of our coffee. I said, oh, okay, that's great. And they said, would you like some? I said, sure. And they brought me this coffee. They called it coffee. This was the thickest thing I've ever, I mean, I'm chewing this coffee. It was like tar. And, and so she gives me this coffee. She gives me some bread. After my first drink, you know, she goes, would you like some water? And I said, yes, please. And, and so they're talking to me and I'm just drinking coffee, chasing it with water, eating this bread and, and getting to know them. And they're the sweetest couple. At one point they're telling me, uh, oh, and they're doing this whole conversation in Spanish. So I'm trying to just track with them the best I can and try to see what's going on. And at one point they start telling me about their wedding. And they're like, would you like to hear the song that we danced to for our first song? I said, sure, that's what we're doing. You know, and he gets a record, like an old kids, y'all know what a record is? He gets this album 
and he puts it on a record player and, and the needle and all that, and he starts playing the song. Well, then he gets over, uh, walks over and gets his wife's hand, and they start dancing. And it's a small living room. So I'm sitting right here drinking my tar, and they're dancing right here. And this might be the longest song I've ever heard in my life. And so we're sitting there for at least a good 20 minutes for this song. And the whole time they're dancing, they're just looking at me. And I'm just drinking the coffee, drinking the water. But I tell you what, as awkward as that was, I I do like that song now. On that day, we became family. After that day, every time I saw Pepe and Gardena, the biggest smiles would be on their face, on my face, the biggest hugs, they, they became family. I've been in the church house with them a lot before that. But it was going into their home, breaking bread, drinking tar, watching them dance. <laughs> and that's what we see at the early church. They're devoted to the fellowship. That word devoted, they prioritize it. Again, they don't see it as an inconvenience or an obligation. They want to be together. They want to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They want to share life together. There's this great verse. It's one of my favorite verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul describes his missionary time with, with the Thessalonians, with the church there in Thessalonica. And he says, being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul knew if we're gonna make disciples, we have to share the word of God. The, the, the word of God has to be the foundation, the root of the Great Commission. And so on his missionary journey, he says, we shared the gospel with you. But he also knew we needed to be devoted to fellowship. So he says, but we also shared our own lives with you, our own selves with you. Have you been growing in the fruit of fellowship? Are you devoted to fellowship. In verse 43, we see some more fruit in this healthy church. What we see in verse 43 is miracles. It says, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There's miracles happening in the church. Now listen, we, we, there's entire books written on this verse and on miracles and uh, we don't have time to spend this morning just unpacking everything about this. But here's what I would want you to hold on to this morning. When we talk about miracles, we're talking about a God-sized movement. And when we talk about miracles, we're talking about things that only God can do. The early church, because they are founded on the word of God, some of the fruit coming out in that beautiful church was they saw God moving. Far too often, we are content and satisfied with what we can do. You guys are smart people. You're smart, you're creative, you're educated, you're strong, you have good ideas. And if we're not careful, we'll depend on all of that. We even do that in ministry sometimes. But we are limited. And what we can do will only take us so far. But in a healthy church rooted in the word of God, we are praying for the Lord to move mountains. We are praying for him to do the impossible because nothing is impossible for him. We are praying for things that only the Lord can do. You know what only the Lord can do? Only the Lord can save 
Only the Lord can change the heart. Only the Lord can truly restore marriages. Only the Lord can bring home that prodigal son, that prodigal grandchild. Only the Lord can truly free you from addiction to sin. These are the things that the Lord can do. So we have to seek him. We have to rest in him, depend on him, cry out to him to move mountains in our church. Raise your hand if you've ever seen in this church a moving mountain miracle that can only be described or explained by God. You've seen God save someone. You've seen God restore a marriage. You've seen God change a heart. Absolutely. Let's keep crying out for the Lord to do what only he can do. In verse 44, we see more fruit from this church. We see ministry. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is not communism because this was not mandatory. The government was not saying everybody sell their stuff, bring it to us, and we'll decide how how to distribute it. The pastors, the elders were not telling everybody you have to go sell your stuff and bring us the money. This was just a voluntary thing that there were people in the church that started seeing some needs. They wanted to meet the need. And they came up with a creative way to meet the need. They said, man, I don't have what you need, but if I go sell some land, I can meet that need. And they started doing it. Barnabas in Acts 4 is one of the people that did it. When Ananias and Sapphira acted like they did it in Acts 5, they were lying. And Peter even told them, wasn't the money yours to do whatever you want? This isn't mandatory. You don't have to do this. There's some that have been doing it. Barnabas did it. God's using it. You don't need to lie and act like you're doing it. You know, they died, by the way, for lying. I love telling that story to my kids. <laughs> oh, you lied? I remember two people that lied. <laughs> Which, by the way, first time we see youth in the book of Acts coming together and do something, it wasn't for a youth camp. It was uh, to dig the holes for Ananias and Sapphira, the graves, you know. Uh, so Kyle, your first youth minister, you can uh, build on that. But what we see is with this ministry, it's voluntary, sacrificial giving. They're not hoarding for themselves. They're giving. When we're rooted in the word of God, we're going to naturally see the fruit of ministry. You know why? Because the word of God, we read verses like 1 John 3.17. And 1 John 3.17 says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So when that verse and the rest of the word of God is the root of our faith, of our church, our discipleship, of course we're gonna see the fruit of ministry. And I believe this church is faithful in that. You've already ministered to me. When I was here last year, for the Gospel Family Conference, there was a few days right before that where I'm texting with Kyle and I wasn't sure if I was gonna make it because right before we were supposed to have the conference last year, uh, my daughter Gracie ends up in the ICU in the hospital. We almost lose her. Uh, she ended up being diagnosed with type one diabetes and we're walking through all this. So our, our world was just kind of turned upside down and I'm texting Kyle saying, man, I don't even know what's happening right now. And, uh, but the Lord is gracious. He uh, took care of our daughter and he brought us home. And four days later, I was here at First Irving and we got to do the conference. So God was really gracious. And when I came that weekend, you know, everything that we had just walked through with our daughter, Gracie, was very fresh. And so I couldn't help but share it. 
And so at the conference last year, I shared with everybody and I'd be sitting down eating lunch and I'd be sharing the story uh, with some of the members. And then one year later, I come back here this last weekend and I can't tell you how many on Friday night, men and women that I have not seen in a year came up to me and the first thing you guys said was, how's Gracie? How's your daughter? You remembered her name. Some of you came up and said, hey, I've been praying for Gracie. How's she doing? Kyle had been texting throughout the year. Hey, I'm praying for Gracie. How's she doing? This church ministers to one another. Someone comes up to pray, people come and pray with them. We see the fruit of ministry in this church because you're rooted in the word of God. Verse 47, we see more fruit from this. We see worship. You like that verse, Kurt? Let's see the worship. It says they're praising God. They're praising God. Any God-sized movement, any healthy church rooted in the word of God will express genuine worship. Not worship just to go through the motions, but worship that is for an audience of one. Worship that is an overflow of all God has done in our lives. God's moving our lives and we just burst out into praise. I love worshiping with the church here. The spirit moves as we get together and worship. This past weekend at the conference, we spent a lot of time talking about family worship, bringing these good things into the home, bringing the word of God in the home, ministry in the home, prayer into the home, worship into the home. That's biblical. We see it. It's not this optional thing that some people do. It's just, it's what the normal Christian life is supposed to look like. As believers, we're supposed to bring the word of God and worship and praise into the home. And we're supposed to enjoy it in the home and in the church house. And this is what we see in verse 47. They're praising God. And then finally, the last fruit we see in this passage is we see a harvest. They're praising God. They're having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. John Stott says, just as worship was daily, their witness was daily. How do we know it was daily? Because it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. They didn't wait for a mission trip to share the gospel. They didn't just say, I hope the pastors are doing a good job sharing the gospel. The church community is out there proclaiming the gospel sharing the words of eternal life and God, they're, they're fulfilling the great commission. God had told them, make disciples of all nations as you go. And they just, they're naive enough just to obey. So I guess that is the mission of the church, not a program, a ministry or a mission, but the great commission is the mission of the church. And that's what they're focused on in verse 47. They're making disciples and nations are proclaiming the gospel day by day. And yet, make sure you don't miss it there in 47. Who's adding to their number? The Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Jesus says in Luke 10, 2, that the harvest is plentiful and we should pray for more labors for the harvest. But what does he say? We should pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more labors into the harvest. 
Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the one that brings the growth. Jesus is the one that adds to our number. Jesus is the one who changes the heart. All we are to be is faithful servants out there proclaiming the gospel. We plant the seed, we water the seed, and then we trust it in the hands of the Lord. In Acts chapter two, we see a healthy church founded on the word of God, filled with fellowship, ministry, worship, faithful to the great commission. And I know enough about first serving to know that this is your prayer for this church. So what I'd love to do to close out our time together, give you something to respond to this morning. We spent the whole week and Friday and Saturday really calling this church to spend time praying for their family, praying with their family, praying for the family. And some of you were at the conference this week and that's how you still need to respond. The Lord's still been working in your heart, bringing you to a place of praying for your family, praying over some things the Lord laid on your heart. And if that's you, then as we close out this time of invitation, I wanna invite you to get your family to come to the front, pray together as a family and pray for God's heart for your home. Some of you though, maybe the way that God's calling you to respond is to look at Acts chapter two, to see this healthy church, to see God's heart for first serving and to say, I'm not gonna just sit back and do nothing. I'm gonna commit to be a prayer warrior for our church to see this kind of fruit.